Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged. I'm Tammy. I'm Michelle. I'm Gracie. And a hug is a gesture intended to convey a sense of care and support, safety, intimacy, and affection. And even though we can't wrap our arms around you, we want you to consider yourself hugged. Hello, everyone. And I am going to, Gracie, you may not even know this, apologize live, even, I don't know when this is going to air, but a couple of weeks ago, um, we didn't, we didn't have a podcast. Did you know that, Gracie? No. (laughs) I, um, I was in Houston all week training teachers and normally I could still get that done, but the presenters, like I roomed with another presenter and then we've all been doing this for so long now that we would go out in the evenings. And so I don't, I feel bad that we didn't, that I just wasn't able to get it done, but it was such a wonderful week. So I guess what I mean is the reason I didn't get it done, I felt very happy about because we really were able to bond and spend a lot of time together. So sorry, but it gives us one week of wiggle room. So again, I don't know when this is going to air. I may post an apology earlier, but at least it's my voice saying sorry. So hi, Gracie. Howdy. Hi, Amber. Hello. We're going to introduce Amber here in a minute, but anybody have, so that, that was my week. That's really, I mean, having been with those amazing teachers was just fabulous and it was really good. So my mental well-being was fantastic. What about you, Grace? Okay. I did something bad. What did you do? So one of our clients is the Chicago Cubs. And they requested an on-site at Wrigley. And gosh darn it, none of our local providers are available. (laughs) Not a single one answered my email to see if they could deliver this on-site training. It could be that I never sent out an email, but that's a whole other story. So gosh, I have to deliver the training to the Cubs at Wrigley. Oh, I'm so sorry. So you're going to do it or you did do it? I uh, do it in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But I already told them I was doing it and that there's no other provider. And and I told them it's because I didn't ask anybody. But it's kind of like with Northwestern, uh, Northwestern University. I adore them. And there are so many times that, oh, gosh, nobody just seems to be available. Yeah, and I don't know, like the, the you wonderful eyes who are watching or ears who are listening, you know, Gracie runs a whole training department for an EAP program. And so she, and she's a speaker. And so when she gets to go speak, those people are like so blessed to have her. So, oh, thanks. Yippee, yippee. Well, I'm very I'm happy excited. for you. Thank and you. I'm going to let you be the person who intros in whatever way you want to. Um, tells the world who Amber is because I I read okay. now and I know a little story. I cannot wait to hear more. I know it's 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 fascinating and not oh, anyway. Okay, so everybody, this is this is Amber, and she actually is my right hand in the uh, employee assistance program training department. Amber, how long have you been on the team? Two, is it going on two years? About two and a half years at this point. So, yeah. So um, she's been there from us just exploding in terms of being super busy, everything else like that. And we balance each other really well because I'm the, 
person and she's the detail person. It's perfect. I'm very much a type A personality. And yeah, loves the spreadsheet, you know, stuff like that. So, but one of the things that's been, it really, yeah, it really is. We really balance each other quite, quite well. Um, But the other thing is, is that it's really important to me in terms of team that it's, it's a human connection. It's not just job descriptions. And so one of the things that I've come to just really appreciate and admire about Amber is there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. She's had a whole bunch of life stuff going on, but one of the things is um, dealing with infertility and it's been very educational on, on my part, just to learn some of these things, because there are a lot of assumptions and things that I thought as a woman, I thought I knew and mm -mm, not so much. And also just to see Amber navigate the healthcare system and society and everything with expectations and labeling and all those things that unfortunately come with that. And so my admiration for you, Amber, as a person, just being able to navigate that with integrity and with respect and with and being able to set those good good boundaries is is pretty phenomenal. So I want everybody to to hear that. And so I'm really glad that you're here today to be able to share your story, but also some information where we can let other people know, hey, this is what it is, because I'm pretty sure if I had some assumptions that were incorrect, that other people might have some too. So you're here to help with that. Okay. Thanks, Gracie. <laughs> it really means a lot. And I'm so glad that um, Tammy and Gracie asked me to be here. Um, disclaimer out there, my story is not the same as everyone else's story. <laughs> going to be completely different and I don't know I feel like a lot of times as women there's a lot of comparing of like oh it's not as bad as my thing or oh that is way worse I I have no means or reason to like feel bad but all of our journeys are valid no matter what they are <laughs> and it's important to talk about it <laughs> so I'm really glad you asked me to be here so you can just have a conversation <laughs> You know, before we jump into, I want to say, Amber, because you said the exact words, you know, when I did my stress study, there was one, there was a a woman in my study, her name was Alice, fake name was Alice, and she was pregnant for the first time. And I I just did this whole week of teacher training where I read this, this excerpt three times a day for five days. But it was, she said, if I said to some of my friends who have children that I haven't slept or I'm stressed at work or I'm tired, and they will say, just wait till you have kids and that kind of thing. But the sentence that she said, which is exactly what you put into a different perspective, she said, it's like you're not validated if your suffering is not the same. So I can see you being with, you know, it's like you can't be suffering more than me, but you can't be suffering less than me, or there's this weird thing. And and when, when we talked about having you on, I didn't even think about any of that. You know, I just thought, oh, this is her journey. And and how tough it must have been, but the things that you put in your note, I didn't even think of any of that really. So do you want to like, just share a little bit about the beginning or, you know, how, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I guess for me, I'm an open book. Um, that was mine, my, my husband's personal decision years and years ago, other people, they decide it's better to be private. And that's best for for them, their own healing and coping. For me, it was, I didn't want all of the constant questions and asking at the family reunions and the, oh, are you guys pregnant yet? Where's the grandkids? I'm like, it's better to just be open and at least have that support from the very beginning. Because 
we've been training for kids for about five years now. And it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, it's about a, if I'm doing the math correctly, it's about a sixth of our lives so far has been trying for kids. Wow. Is we started thinking I'd be very healthy. I'm the oldest of seven. My mom's the eldest of seven. And while Wait, yes, you can't just you can't just say that and then not oldest of seven. Tell yes. us and just real so, quick. So it's me, um, five brothers and a sister. Wow. All single. Yes, no multiples in their end. As far as I'm aware, no miscarriages and what's that my mom the, experienced. What's the span? Um, 14 years between me and the baby. Wow. So I guess they're they're in high school now, so not much of a baby. Wow. That's, yes. <laughs> so you come from a big family. Yes. And while I didn't want as big of a family, because it just, I didn't feel like that was best and in the cards. I, I wanted at least a, cu- a couple children. <laughs> yeah. So my husband and I, we got married. Um, after about a year, we're like, hey, I'm done with school. Now's a great time for us to start trying. It's going to be easy peasy. We were trying for a little bit. I, and sorry, this is too TMI. <laughs> no, you, I don't think there is too TMI. Okay. On our, right, Gracie? <laughs> No, I was pretty regular in my cycles. And then there was a month after a couple months of trying that I wasn't. I'm like, oh, this is really weird. Maybe I'm pregnant. So I I did a bunch of tests. It wasn't showing up. I'm like, oh, this is weird. But I know there's like a random small percentage of people that it just doesn't show up on test because of the hormones in your body. And at this point, I thought I was perfectly healthy. I didn't think there were any issues with me or my spouse in this aspect. So I went in to the doctor. I'm like, hey, can I get a pregnancy test? They went and they're like, not only are you not pregnant, but we think there's also some hormonal and female issues here. Let's do some follow-up tests. So come to find out, I was diagnosed with PCOS, which is a polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that can impact <laughs> everything <laughs> from your ovaries to your cycles, weight gain, insulin resistance, you're a lot more predisposed to diabetes, heart cancer, your hair can fall out. Um, you can have hirsutism, which is where you get an excess of hair, typically like on your face or your pits or where men generally have hair and women may not as much. Had you experienced that? I, looking back, there were signs of Oh, if I had known, if I had gone into the doctor regularly as a child, been aware of various female issues, I might have seen something, but it very much came as a shock. <laughs> yeah. And are you the type of person that worries? Like when you went and they said, not only are you pregnant, but there might be something else going on. Are you like, a, oh, yes. Um, a lot of things in childhood and pre-existing mental health conditions. Um makes me very, very anxious, <laughs> where I like to know what to expect, even if it's something as simple as a job interview or going to a fun activity, your birthday party or event, so I can prepare. And even if that's 10, 20 different contingencies. Oh, well, that so, was really hard for you, even <laughs> in that beginning, like not knowing. Yes, very much down the rabbit hole of Google, which is not very smart. <laughs> But a lot of times, unfortunately, I don't know if you guys have experienced this as well, but 
as women, we tend to go into the doctor and it's like, oh, you're fine. Take some birth control, lose some weight, don't stress. So you have to become an expert. Make sure that you're exercising. And then they don't even have answers for your question of, well, what caused this? Why is this? What's, and they're like, oh, just, just do this. Yeah. Just put on the band-aid. Do better self-care or, you know, or a lot of times you just do hear the word stress. Well, stress can, and y'all may know how I feel about that, but (laughs) yes, you go in and there, you just don't feel like you're being heard. Yes. So you have to become the medical expert and professional. (laughs) So you, you got the tests. You got the diagnosis, which I'm assuming is exactly what it says, multiple cysts on your ovaries yes. that they can't just go and take out. Um, what do they do? Like, is it, do they treat, is it treated at all? Or is it just. Typically they say go on birth control and go on metformin, which metformin is supposed to balance the insulin resistance and the diabetes, but it doesn't treat the rest of it. And then birth control to kind of suppress and regulate your cycles. Not very helpful if you're trying for children. Right. Yeah. So at that point they just say, oh, wait a year once you've been trying for a year, then we can refer you to a specialist. Like, well, I know something is wrong now. (laughs) But unfortunately insurance usually doesn't budge on that. (laughs) Oh, insurance. Can we do a whole separate thing on that? (laughs) Yes. I, you love them when they're there and they actually help. Right. So I got all the red tape. So did you go see someone else or what did you do? Um, I didn't. I was still young college kid. Uh, my husband was still in school himself. So we didn't have thousands of dollars to put towards treatments because there's, there's a sliding scale of, oh, let's give you a little bit of medication to ensure that you have regular cycles, you ovulate, you can actually conceive all the way to... IVF or in vitro, where it's let's do multiple surgeries every step along this process to ensure that you get and stay pregnant. So we went down the rabbit hole of lots of different supplements and health and self care and yoga and meditation. And I'm sure that it did help to a degree because I'm thankfully not experiencing as many symptoms as other people with PCOS as well. But I'm so I have some of them, but not all the symptoms. <laughs> so you took the path of just trying those things for a while. Yeah. Let's go the, the natural. We're holistic trying to do. Okay. Which is always then, a good thing to do overall for your health. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then eventually we were able to get into a doctor. Um, lots of ups and downs and some doctors that misdiagnosed and didn't tell us that there were things wrong. So I had cyst growing for over six months and was never told and that caused its own health issues <laughs> but finally was able to get in to see a decent fertility specialist they had a surgery we've done seven attempted IUIs um, which is intrauterine insertion um, or insemination sorry <laughs> um, basically it's like the turkey baster <laughs> okay to <laughs> inseminate to try and conceive. Um, we did seven attempted, um, but two of them had to be canceled the day of due to my body not responding correctly, um, husband's body not responding correctly um, to various meds and such. Uh, so we were able to be 
successful <laughs> for five of them, but none of them took. And then um, we I didn't did know that that existed. Yes, what are, it's, what are the it's kind of the middle ground of trying. <laughs> what are those letters again? Intrauterine. Um, yep, I U I. It's intrauterine insemination. Okay. Did Basically, to give your body a little leg up. So the male specimen doesn't have to travel quite as far. That's a shorter journey. journey. Yes. <laughs> okay, gotcha. It, it has about a 25% success rate, which is like, oh my goodness, that's like nothing. However, a regular, healthy, natural conceiving couple in any given month, they only have a 25% chance of, of conceiving in that month as well. So it puts you on par with a typical couple. <laughs> Okay. So, and then um, we've done, um, we've taken breaks throughout there for mental health, saving up finances, because various moves in there, switching insurances, et cetera. Because um, fun fact, if you want to call it that, um, only 16 of the states in America actually offer any type of infertility coverage. Which, I didn't know that because you told me before. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You would think with one in five people in the U.S. experiencing infertility. Really? Would, to put that on scale, me mental health issues is, Tammy, Gracie, you're aware. It's one in five people experience mental health concern. That's all the mental health concerns lumped together. That's the same amount of people as experience infertility in reproductive years. Wow. And I think that's another thing that I'm, I'm so glad we're having this discussion is because the default is, oh, it only happens to this small amount of people. It's such a small amount and 20% is not small, a small amount. Yeah. I mean, it, when you it's think about so it, many. No, it's not. And it's just, it's something else, just like mental health. It's something else we don't talk about. We don't normalize that somebody I know statistically is struggling with this exactly a lot so, of times it's not that visible just like right. mental health mm -hmm. and right. is that figure is that figure like um couples wise or men and women but um, individuals okay so it could be male female but exactly because okay. statistically it's about <clears throat> sorry excuse me but tickle um, about one third is due to female issues. One third is due to male issues. And then one third is due to both or unknown factors. Interesting. But again, in our society, whose fault is it or who's wrong or who's unhealthy? It's, it's always associated with the female trying to get pregnant. That's something else we need to change. And the female is typically the one that has to go through the majority of the procedures, the shots, the medicine, the blood draws, the, the test. Are you all Handmaid's Tale fans? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and if, if you're watching or listening, and I mean, the short story that relates to what we're talking about is, is a future futuristic dystopian society where the population of the country is declining and they blame the the women <laughs> they say it's the but in reality it was actually the men you know again long story but the default was just that it was oh it was the women's fault <laughs> so yeah anyway so go on. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where we were. <laughs> Lots of little rabbit trails. Oh, also there was a movie I saw like don't cry darling or don't it was out within the past couple of years I'll post a link to it never mind look, remind me to come back to it later because I think you're going to talk about this and I'll, I'll know when to come back to it um so you so you went through those treatments and, and then we've done um two egg retrievals and one embryo transfer and nothing is taken okay so egg retrievals and embryo transfer like is that what is that IVF is that what we know as like what is that you got to get oh, a drink sorry. no don't be apologies to get a drink too right before we came on Gracie and I was like Ugh. so I got a mint and some water and is it is it that no. you are too Amber like the yeah it's a lot of like pollen or something in the air we've had so much rain and I feel braggadocious about it because so many areas have it but in Tennessee we've had a lot of rain and um, so stuff just keeps blooming and growing. Okay, so I, whatever you said, embryo transfer and yes. retrieval, so, you tell us. Well, and I think also, Amber, it's important to say, when we say these are procedures, people think procedure, you go into the doctor's office, they don't think about you having five and six and seven and eight appointments for this one procedure and oh, flying across country to go to the fertility specialist clinic oh, I and having to get a hotel. <laughs> oh yeah. So we need you in New York in two days, get on a plane and find a hotel. So Is it's that not just, I'm going in for an appointment. It's this whole huge process. Yeah. Is that yeah. because there wasn't any, anything closer that was, or, or I mean, are those centers just spread out? Sorry, we're asking you a million questions. No, you're a kid. Well, and I'll, I'll answer a little bit too. So part of it is, is that uh, Amber was selected to be part of a, a, a study about a, a kind of an improved procedure. And it was only happening in New York, which is where she was not living. But also um, where, where she's living now, she's actually moved. And where she's living now is actually close to some clinics, but there are, there are so many places in the country where there 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 isn't there there isn't any sort of advanced fertility support where people do have to fly or drive for hours or just it simply isn't an option. So again, it's kind of like, oh, we had these events. It wasn't just going in for a half hour procedure. It is literally weeks leading up to in the finance because. Hotel and plane, they're not covered by insurance. So there's that additional financial wow. burden. Yeah. No, I don't think these are things that people know. Because it can be months of prep for one procedure. Of, <laughs> there's things of just trying to regulate your body and be like, oh, well, we expect that you'll be at a certain hormonal point on day 15. You go in on day 12 to check and it's like, yeah, that's not actually going to be the point. Let's adjust your meds and then we'll see you two more times before the actual procedure. So it's very much living your life in a constant up and down in one week stages or two week stages or a month or even nine months if you're trying to plan for a pregnancy like oh well we don't want to plan this cruise or this big vacation just in case if there's a newborn at that point wow it kind of takes over your entire 
life and identity. Because it sounds like it's everything the medical part of your and the just the like you said the the body prep and having all that and then the the travel and it sounds like sometimes it's sudden a little bit yes. last minute. Well, because it's all based on like hormone levels and stuff like that. And so we can guess, but we don't know for sure. And so it has to be okay. Here's a 36 hour period where your levels are at the, the place at where the we perfect need point. We need to do it now. We can't wait, literally cannot wait another 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Right. And so luckily, Amber works remote. So she can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. But think about people who have right. to go into the office every day and, you know, stuff like that. It's not, it's just not possible for so many people. So, oh, no. yeah. That, uh, I'm, I'm learning so much. So, so that there's the egg retrieval, mm-hmm. which is what we think. And it's yeah. that so for, thankfully, unless if there's complications. <clears throat> so thankfully for IVF, there's, so there's two parts to um, in vitro or um, IVF. There's the egg retrieval or um, egg harvesting, basically where you prep your body to try and like super ovulate to get as many eggs as possible. So like if you were naturally trying to conceive, you'd hope for one, maybe two eggs if you're shooting for twins. When you're trying to do egg retrieval, it's very much a numbers game. So they're trying to get, let's say, 20 eggs that they harvest and take out of your ovaries and then they inseminate them with the male specimen and maybe only five of them of those 20 actually make it to five days of growth to become an embryo and a blastocyst and then you freeze them so you can use them at later times or and let your body heal a little bit and reset or you can transfer one of them like right away that same month And then there's the second half, which is the embryo transfer. And again, that's a month, sometimes a couple months to prep the body to get it to the correct levels. So you can transfer that embryo back in and then hope that it implants and continues to grow. And then you can confirm a pregnancy and keep the baby all the way full term. And is this... I did have a friend actually, and I just remembered this, it's, but it's been 20 years and she, she had IVF and has a 22 year old daughter now, but she was on the medications prior to, to like increase your ovulation or what is, was it like Clomid or? Clomid? Yep. Clomid. Okay. Is that, is that part of that? Yes. So that's yep. part of what you have to do before that even happens. Yeah. It's a, depending on your body, it can be a variety of shots and um, oral or sometimes vaginal um, medications as well. Gosh. And these are all, I would think too, your hormone levels are all affected by all of this, right? Yes. You're in a <laughs> constant state of like. So you're already stressed and anxious. And then you put let's say higher than PMS levels of being emotional while trying to also be told, stay calm, don't stress. It might impact the success. 
and being able to get pregnant. Like, thanks for that. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> let, let me try and de-stress. De <laughs> oh my gosh. And I mean, how many, you don't have to answer this. I don't know if this is the right question, but you've done the, the full IVF process. Mm -hmm. How many times? Um, kind of a little, I say one and a half because okay. we did, typically you do one egg retrieval, one embryo transfer, and then go from there. We got so few eggs, the first egg retrieval that they wanted to try and increase the odds. So we ended up doing two egg retrievals before trying an embryo transfer. And despite that, even between two different surgeries, which you can or cannot have under anesthesia, depending on the doctor, I highly recommend doing it under anesthesia. Oh, geez, Amber, thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> we were able to harvest six eggs, but only two of them made it to embryo. Wow. So we transferred one about a year ago. And we're going into a new cycle um, in the next coming months to transfer our final remaining maybe baby. Maybe <laughs> baby. <we>, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Before, um, if it doesn't work, then we have to start at square one and do another um, egg retrieval to get as many as we can to hopefully make it to embryo. You know, just like Gracie was saying earlier about how important it is that we have this conversation. And I think about how important it is too, from woman to woman about any issue related to our bodies and um, menstrual cycles and all that. Because when I was 16, I was having terrible, terrible like periods and cramps and they did an endometrial biopsy in the office in the office. I was 16 years old. They no anesthesia or, or pain meds or anything? No. But oh, and I didn't know and my mom didn't know and we didn't know. And I they had to go get her. She was out and they brought me. I mean, I was almost out on the floor. And to this day, and I'm 58 now, the thought when I go in to have like a pap smear, I mean, I know that's not what it's going to be like, but even right now, I'm kind of like, you know wiggling around in my chair for it. so I just say that to well it, it, it's traumatizing yes and so when your body remembers that pain so you will have you saying I would recommend anesthesia because what you're saying there is it depends on your doctor and so that what you said right there is really important for other I did one without and then one with <laughs> and you know now that's it <laughs> yes I will insist and demand the anesthesia well, what and else for somebody going through it the first time, they won't even know to insist because it's not even going to be offered. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, that's an extra expense that may or may not be covered. T Which take is that thing. off. Please. Why would that not be covered by insurance? <laughs> mm. yeah. I was yeah. looking at your resources um, that you sent, and you talked about like online groups and things like that. I mean, do you? I'll take this out if you would. Have you ever thought about like? like writing or blogging through your journey or are there people who do that I actually do I, I haven't done it as frequently as I need to so it's semi-infrequent when there's time with work schedule and emotional capacity but I do have a blog that I'll um we can put in the show notes if you'd like I'm just trying to be a safe space and hey your feelings are valid and maybe you can avoid some of the pitfalls that I did not know any better about I think that'd be so amazing. And and I wondered um, 
Is there anything else you want to tell us about like the process itself? And then maybe we can end up with just some advice for people as far as like the emotional and mental part, you know, just things that you wrote in here about when people ask questions and things like that. But as far as the process itself or anything like that advice or other words of wisdom regarding what you're going through. I think try, (laughs) this is a lot easier said than done, but don't blame yourself or blame your partner. Because it can be very easy to, oh, it's all my fault. I'm less than because I can't do what the body should do. Because there's generational, maybe religious, societal aspects. And there can be a lot of anger at yourself, higher power, maybe family members that didn't warn you and be like, hey, here's some issues you may come up with. It's not a you try and get pregnant and you're magically pregnant and you keep pregnancy. It's like, there's so many different stages to it that it's okay to feel mad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to process those feelings that you are not less of an individual because right. your body has disabilities that are okay. out of your control. Is it is it almost like a, a grief when you come out on the other side and Yes, <laughs> at least for me, um, and I know a lot of other people in support groups that I've talked with, um, it's every holiday, every pregnancy announcement from friends, relatives, family members, every birthday, it's like, well, one more year of that fertility time clock <laughs> ticking down, and it's being sad and dreading the what should be happy milestones. Oh, another anniversary, another birthday we get to celebrate. Or if there's a miscarriage of here's the birthday or the first Christmas that we wanted to experience with the baby. Here's the first, here's when their first birthday would have been. So it can be a lot of grief and then, but feeling like you can't talk about it because there's not, oh, we didn't physically have the funeral. This person didn't have 40, 80 years of their life that we're celebrating. So it can feel like it's not as much, which is not the case, especially if it was say secondary infertility where, well, at least you have a child. Like, well, no, yes, we have a child, but we're still struggling for say a second child or a third child. Like everyone's journey is valid. And it's, it's okay to grieve because you're grieving what's lost and your, your hopes and dreams of where you wish you'd be at that point and what you envision your life to be. And it's been stolen from you. Yeah. I'm sorry you're going through that. And I wonder when people, so people do occasionally say, or you have heard people say, at least you have one child. And do you think when people say that, are do you see sometimes it they, they think they're being encouraging? Do you think that that's where it comes from? Yeah, I think uh, um, from what I've seen and like different friends and family members that have gone through infertility and that have, for, for us, we don't have any children yet. But I have a lot of friends that have had miscarriages later on after they have one or two children. And I think genuinely people are trying to be helpful. They're trying to show their support. They're trying to show empathy, but they don't know what to say 
be it, oh, well, at least the baby wasn't that far along when you lost it, or at least you have a child, or why don't you adopt, or I can give you one of my kids. It's like, or, oh, be thankful right now you, you can rest and relax and have your own time. Just wait until there's little ones keeping you awake. Like, well, I, well, you are I want that. <laughs> Let, let's trade, please. <laughs> so I, I think people are trying to be helpful, but they may not understand how it impacts others. And that's not to say don't ever talk about it because that just increases the stigma. <laughs> right. But at least w- what I found, and, and it may be different for everyone, but just having an open conversation or or even asking, like, hey, is this okay? Or tell me what you need. So that's what I was going to ask you. What can people, how, what would be most helpful for people who know your situation and they see you every six months or just if it comes up, what are some helpful things that you said a couple, like, just ask, you know? Yeah, I think just, just like a lot of people that are, that have kids, sometimes their entire identity is being a mom. And that's all people talk about when they're together. It's like, well, no, I I have other things outside of that. (laughs) And I think the same can be said of people that are going through infertility is, yes, this is a major part of my identity. And it does, in part, define who I am but it's not 100%. So ask about trips or different things we're doing. Ask about work, ask about different hobbies. I'm a normal human, just like you. Yes, you are. (laughs) You you absolutely are. Being there to support and listen. Like there've been many, many times that I've called Gracie up. I'm like, hey, do you have a minute? Can I just talk and can I vent? And because I know she's a, a safe place and there's not going to be that judgment or whatever. It's like, even if she may not know what to say or have the answers and like, I'm not going to her asking for medical advice and fix everything, but it's, I need to know I'm not alone in this and I have support. She's a good one. That's very powerful. <laughs> yes. And what about, what about your husband? Like, does he experience like, because I'm sure there will be you know, there will be men who are experiencing people. What does he, how, how, how to support him? How can his friends or people in his world support, you know, the spouses? I think some of the same thing is it can be like, obviously I can't speak perfectly for him, but we, we've had a lot of open, honest, raw conversations about this where, because we also experience male factor infertility as well. So it, in a weird, ironic way, it's kind of taken the guilt and finger pointing away because we both experience infertility issues, which we wish neither of us did, but it's been able to help us be that support. And there's a lot of that stereotype of, oh, I'm the strong man, I'm the provider, I'm the producer or whatever. And that can be take it away so they can feel a lot of feeling less than and not have the safety net that that women do of it's okay to cry it's okay to be emotional it's okay to talk about it because it's a lot of these stereotypical guys of bottle it up be strong be tough so I think for them as well realizing 
it's okay to talk about this and cry and be sad and be mad. It doesn't make you less of a man. It means you're feeling and processing and coping and grieving as well. You know, when you were, I'm going to come back to that movie I was talking about. And I think it's don't cry, darling. Don't worry, darling. I'll, I'll find it. And it's, it's, it's a weird movie. You, the ending is it's not what you thought it was, but it sort of has like a fifties. I think it was set like in a 50s setting. So in the mornings, the, the men would all go out to their cars and leave to go to work. It was very like ritualistic. And the women would come out in their aprons and everything. And they all had kids, but there was one or two scenes where there was one couple and they didn't have kids. And so they would, the women would be like, oh, the new women would be like, oh, you know, how many kids do you have? And if it was none, they would all be like, you know, they would be whispering and talking to each other. And I think like, I wish that, I wish that those scenes wouldn't even, I mean, they were kind of mocking it, you know, in a way, but it wasn't, I just wish it wouldn't even be in there, you know, because- it speaks a little bit to reality though. Like think of how you may meet a lot of new mom friends. It's at the school pickup, at the ballet class, at theater camp. It's meeting other moms or coworkers at work where you may not have that space to find friends, find your tribe without that connecting glue of, oh, you have kids, I have kids. Wow. Be very isolated at times. So do you feel that that's like something you're missing out on too? Then it's just that whole mom community. Definitely. It's not just the lack of having that child. There's the whole, everything that goes with it. Exactly. Wow. Amber, you you don't see that much in media either. Like think of if it's even shown like infertility struggles, it's one of two extremes. There's the horror sides of it. Of, oh, this can go wrong. There's doctors that are doing the insemination themselves. And now there's the father of a hundred babies or there's infertility struggles for an hour of the movie. And then they magically get pregnant. It's like, that's not why <laughs> there's not always that guaranteed happily, af- at, happily ever after at the end. So I think with a lot of like mental health issues in media as well, it's like, it needs to be more normalized. So there's that space for people to feel seen and heard and validated. Right. Cause you know, we, we all know someone who's had cancer or who had a loved one die or who has had mental health issues, but how many people truly know someone who has dealt with infertility or is it because they really don't know someone or is because that there hasn't been a statistically we know someone statistically right but we don't talk about it when you put in your and these are things you're fine with i mean (laughs) with us posting but you you sent a lot of things about support groups group therapists that specialize in grief and women's health social media pages that are safe um you put infertility school. Are these are these specific Instagram pages that you put in? Yes. Okay. So we'll get we'll get some links for those too. Yeah, to perfect. Thank you. Go ahead and send those. And and friends and you you have, you have so much more in here. I'm wondering if there's 
because I know we want to be respectful of your time, but is there anything else that you haven't shared that you think would be really important for people to hear? I think one thing that we found to be helpful, um, other people find it a little morbid, but is a to find a healthy coping mechanism after each failed cycle, another month, you get a period, failed treatment, a rough holiday, that it's not celebrating the failure, but it's, hey, here's a little silver lining and something that we can do to cope. Like for me, it's sushi. Because you, you can't really have sushi when you're pregnant. So I'm like, okay, well, at least I can have sushi after we just got some more bad news. <laughs> For others, it could be see a massage or fancy bath bombs or a nice outfit or candle. Like obviously you don't want to be excessive, but it's find something, something that's special just for you. Yes, that can still help you bring and find joy in your life, even during a, a difficult time. Cause it can be a lot of ups and downs and bitterness and misery that you you have to find something so infertility doesn't consume your entire life and your emotions. A lot of times mental health concerns and infertility, they coexist and they go hand in hand. And it's like, well, well which one came first and which one's making the other worse? So find find something to bring you joy. I think that's beautiful. You know, I, I did want to ask you this and then we'll kind of wrap up, but um, you mentioned a, cu- a couple, <laughs> excuse me, a couple times the ups and downs and I wondered what the ups are. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the big up. <laughs> well, okay, the biggest is. <laughs> but other times it can be at least finding answers where, okay, yes, this was a failed cycle. However, now we have additional data points and the doctor can fine tune like, okay, well, this dosage of this med does not work with you. It doesn't interact. Let's try this new thing. So you can be one step closer, one more mini milestone, or, hey, we did an egg retrieval. Let's say harvested 20 eggs. Okay, five of them, they made it to day one. Okay, let's celebrate that that many at least made it to to day one. And then three of them made it to day two. So celebrating those little wins and those ups of, or say insurance, finally approving things or being able to find a good doctor that actually listens to you. And so you can, you don't have to fight every step of the way. There, yeah. there can be little ups as you search for them. <laughs> I love that. And there are, you shouldn't have to fight, but I understand, you know that fight that you some you have to be your own advocate and just and just push and you know I've I've known Amber now for almost a year and a half and we've been on several little short zooms together many 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 times um we went to a retreat Gracie was there Amber's there and several others were there and just you know I have to say I didn't know um it just, it just didn't come up in conversation when we were together. And so I knew a little while back, but I didn't know for the longest time. And, and Amber, you're just this, the kindest, most positive, most, every time I've messed up when we've been on a like webinar together and she's like, it's okay. And she's like, I got your back. And she just, you know, she always smiles, but that just goes to show, you know, people sometimes smile through their pain and 
just an encouraging word to anyone. Yeah. It's super important. So thank you for sharing your journey. I mean, of course. Thank, thank you for having me, being this, able to provide a safe space to talk about it. It's going to help a lot of people. Gracie, do you have anything else? Just a continuation. Let's normalize the human experience. I mean, let's. Let, wouldn't it be fabulous if the whole world were a safe space that people could have, you know, who they are, and be able to do that. So, be aware. I, I think the statistics are really helpful. You do know somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't mean that we need to be overly cautious about everything we say. Be aware, and be able to. Even if you don't have the answers, at least be able to listen. I think that's huge. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been wonderful for all of us, I think. So thank you, Amber. And as always, thank you. Thank you for listening, for watching, for subscribing, for downloading. That helps us grow so much. We will share whatever Amber wants us to share in the show notes. She sent, you know, lots of resources and if she decides to do her blog, whatever she has that she thinks will be helpful to you, we will share in the show notes. So be sure to go do that. Let us know you're there. Ask a question. Give Amber some love. Let her know that this was very helpful to you. And, you know, this can be helpful to people in, for many reasons, too. I mean, just Gracie, you said the human experience, just listening in a way that we can help validate every everyone's experience. So go to our private Facebook group if you're not there. Um, that will be in the show notes. Um, what else? Is that it? That's all the general stuff, right? And I don't know if Amber knows, but at the end of our shows, we close with consider yourself hugged. So I will start with until next time. And then Amber, you can start it and we'll see how well it goes. All right. Okay. We'll work together next time. Consider yourself. Consider yourself. Uh, <laughs> Amber, you're a natural. Thank you. That so was good. Much.